Let's pray for God's blessing on his word. Lord, we do lift our hearts to you now and we pray that we would be able to live by the light of your word. And so this morning, may you illuminate our hearts in the power of your spirit so that we would not only be able to see clearly the truth of your scriptures, but also that we might know Jesus better and long to live for his glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, our scripture lesson this morning is from Mark chapter 9, verses 14 through 29. You'll find that on page 844, 845 of the Pew Bible. Mark chapter 9, beginning in verse 14. We've just seen Jesus on the mountain transfigured before Peter and James and John. And yet Peter and James and John did not fully understand what was taking place and Here is what follows on the heels of that. Mark writes, And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd among them, that is, the disciples who were at the bottom of the mountain, waiting on Jesus and the others to return. And the scribes were arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly astonished and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, What are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. And he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him, and When the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy and he fell down on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it was has often cast him into the fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can. All things are possible for one who believes. Immediately the father and the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd had come running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out and the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, He is dead. Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up and he arose. And when he had entered the house and his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. The prophet Elijah in second Kings chapter four was treated by a particular couple to a particular blessing. There was a young woman who was married to an older man. They had no children, and yet she longed to honor the prophet Elijah. And so she went to her husband and said, let's build a room just for the prophet so that when he passes through here, he will have a place to stay and we will be able to bless him. When Elijah came through the next time, She told him of the arrangements that they had made, and he was so thankful that he wanted to bless her. And he asked 
his associate, what, what shall we do for this woman? And his servant said, this woman has no children, for she is married to an older man, and it seems as though she might have been barren. So Elijah went to the woman and said, this season, next year, you will embrace a son. You would think she would be overjoyed, but her response was quite different. It was, no, my Lord, do not lie to me. In other words, don't get my hopes up. I've been disappointed time and time again. Don't lie to me now and tell me that I will have a son when all this time I've never been able to have a son. She was a woman who did not want to get her hopes up again. This father that we read of in the story is one who has probably gotten his hopes up numerous times that maybe his son would be healed. And this particular time, he comes to Jesus with hopes that his son will be healed. And yet he's disappointed once again. Peter and James and John, as I mentioned before, have gone up on the mountain with Jesus. They've seen the glory of Jesus. And while they were away, the remaining disciples were at the base of the mountain. And they were trying to minister in the name of Jesus. To do the kinds of things that Jesus would do. And this man had brought his son to Jesus, but Jesus is not there. And so he asked Jesus' disciples, will you be able to heal my son? And what we read here is that they failed. They couldn't do anything to help his son. And the scribes, of course, seize this opportunity to agonize Jesus' disciples. They antagonize them to poke fun at them and begin to question with them and argue about. And here Jesus arrives and asks a question of the scribes in verse 16. What are you arguing about with them? Jesus wants to know what the discussion is all about. Why are the scribes attacking my disciples? But before the issue can be settled between Jesus and the scribes, this man interjects. Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. This man has no time for theological discussions. He has a sense of urgency about him. He doesn't care about the argument between the scribes and the disciples of Jesus. His son is in pain. He tells us about it. Whenever the spirit would seize him and throw him, it would throw him down and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out. This man has a particular need because his son is in pain. And Jesus here looks beyond everybody's particular situation, the, the scribes and the disciples and the man and the son, and he sees the real problem for what it is, a lack of faith, because Jesus responds, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. What grieves God most is the fact that his people do not believe in him. If we were to look throughout the Old Testament time and time again, God laments over the fact that His people do not trust in Him. 
It's the very thing that's behind Jesus' lament in Matthew chapter 23 when he finishes the woes that he pronounces upon the people of God and he says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I've longed to gather you as a mother hen gathers her chicks, but you would not. They would not come to him and they would not believe in him. You see, on one level, what Jesus requires of us is quite simple. It is faith. Just believe in me. He says to his disciples in John 6, the work of God is to believe in him who he has sent. It's a great theme of the gospel message to lay all your trust on Jesus, to trust in Jesus, to believe in him and to believe in no other. That's the very message of this passage here is faith Jesus saves only by faith. There's plenty of background noise going on in this passage. There's arguments that are taking place. There's family history. There's a boy foaming at the mouth and convulsing on the ground. There's lots of background noise. But Jesus cuts through it all and says, now the real problem here, the real problem is lack of faith. How long must I endure this lack of faith, he says. But Jesus, in his patient way, takes this as an opportunity to teach more lessons about faith in him. And the first is this. Those who believe in Jesus actually have their faith strengthened. Those who believe in Jesus have their faith strengthened. The man has brought his son to Jesus' disciples, but we are told they were not able to do anything to help the boy. Now, Jesus has a lesson that he wants to teach his disciples here, but there's a more important matter, a more urgent matter. A boy is suffering and a father is in agony over his son. And so Jesus' response is very simple. Bring him to me. And what happens when Jesus sees this boy? Verse 20, they brought the boy to him and when the spirit saw him, Immediately, it convulsed the boy and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. In other words, Jesus now sees in full living color all that the Father has reported about the Son. It's nothing new for the Father. He's seen it all before. He says, Jesus asked, how long has this been happening to him? And the Father said, from childhood. It has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. Likely, during all these years of watching his son be harmed, he sought every possible avenue for his son to be healed. I'm sure he's scoured the countryside like any good father would do when he sees his child in pain. Is there anybody, anybody around here who can heal my son? I'm sure he's experienced all different types of people who say, bring him to me and I'll heal your son. And now he comes to Jesus. And his disciples were able to do nothing. And so no wonder this man is skeptical about Jesus and asks the question, but if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. If you can do anything, Jesus. Jesus counters. If you can, all things are possible 
for the one who believes. He turns the table on the Father and says, if you can. In other words, if you can believe in me, it is possible. The problem is not my ability to heal your son. The question is, do you believe that I have the power to heal your son? And the father really at the end of his rope says, we're told immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe Help my unbelief. He wants to believe so badly. Jesus, I have an ounce of faith, but help me. Because I'm not quite sure that you can. And how does Jesus help this man with his unbelief? He does it the same way he does us. Let me mention a couple of things. The first is this. He simply gives us proof. He gives us proof. That's what he does right here. He takes the boy and he actually heals him. And the demon is cast out. Isn't that what God does all through the Scriptures? Proving over and over and over to His people. Saving them again and again. Displaying His powers over and over and over. And then saying, now you believe in Me. You trust Me. Don't you see how I've proven myself over and over. People have questions. It's part of what being a human is all about. And especially being sinful and being filled with doubts. At times we have questions. Unfortunately, some people will sit in the pew for years and years and years. They have questions in their minds and they're uncertain as to why they ought to believe. They suppress those questions and they just sit there in the pew year after year after year. And you see, the Bible has real answers to your questions. God is not so small that He can't handle your questions. He says, you come to Me with all of your questions. You may not like the answer that I give, but I'll answer your questions. And I'm big enough to handle every single question that you have. If you're one of those people and you've been sitting in the pew and you've wondered, why? What about this? What does the Bible have to say? Ask your questions of God. And He has real answers for you. And so the first thing here is that He gives us proof. But the second thing is, He gives us his faith. He gives us His faith. Jesus says to the man, if you can, all things are possible for everyone who believes. Now as you look at this story, who in this story believes? Is it the disciples? Is it the scribes? Is it the Father? Is it the Son? Who believes? There's only one. Jesus. Only Jesus in this passage is the man of faith. All things are possible for the one who believes. Therefore, all things are possible in Jesus because Jesus is the one who looks upon the Father and believes that the Father has given Him power in the Spirit to do all things. And what Jesus does then is grant us 
the very faith that he possesses. The writer of Hebrews tells us on a couple of different occasions that Jesus is the founder of our salvation, but also that he is the founder and perfecter of our faith. He says in chapter 12, look to Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith. That word founder, one of my favorite words in the Greek, archegon. Isn't that a great masculine word? Archegon. It means champion. It means pioneer. It means trailblazer. You see, it's, he's the one who's gone before us in his earthly life and lived a life of faith, always believing what the Father says. So that now he gives to you and to me his faith by the power of the same spirit that he possesses so that you and I will be able to believe too. think of David going out to fight Goliath. Nobody believes in the power of God. They're standing on the sidelines and yet Jesus or David goes out as the, the man of faith, right? Who believes that the battle belongs to the Lord what happens after he defeats Goliath? Everybody else begins to follow in behind him, pursuing after the enemies of God, striking down the Philistines. My friends, that's a little bit of a parable of you and I as we follow the Lord Jesus. It's His faith and we're coming in behind Him because He and the power of His Spirit grants us faith. And so the Father can cry out, I believe, but help my unbelief. And Jesus has the resources to do it. Because He can pour out upon you His Spirit so that you are able to believe too. Every moment of our lives requires faith in Jesus. Sometimes we waver. But Jesus has already been there. And He's already believed for you. And He graciously grants it to you. You know what it's like to have loved ones who are sick and you're praying for them and just praying that they will hold on and you're trying to hold on in faith too. You've prayed for others to be converted throughout your life and it seems like nothing's happening and you're, you're trying to hold on that Jesus really has the power to save them. You've had big decisions to make. You've been unsure of God's will for your life and His purposes. And you see every ounce of faith that you muster up is not your own. But it's actually Christ's faith that He grants to you. Because when He was growing up in relative poverty as an obscure Jewish boy, knowing all the glories of heaven, He trusted the wisdom of His Father. Father, You've asked me to come here. And I'm trusting Your wisdom. When all of His disciples begin to question Him, even His own family begins to question Him and try to rebuke Him. Jesus still trusted the will of the Father. When He went to the cross and He was cloaked in all of our sin and the Father turned His back on Him, He was still the man of faith who trusted that the Father would love Him and exalt Him to the right hand of God. At every point, Jesus is the man of faith. And when you struggle and I struggle, it's the faith of Jesus that He grants. Help my unbelief. Have you cried that before? Lord Jesus, help my unbelief. And sometimes there's an answer to prayer that, that 
once again proves to us and reassures to us, yes, God is alive and real. Sometimes it seems as though there's no answer. But He simply gives you the faith to bear up under that trial, to hold on, and to press forth. And so those who believe have their faith strengthened, but also, secondly, those who believe are completely saved. Completely saved. Now you've heard dramatic testimonies of how people were converted to Christ. Of how some man had lost everything, his family, his business, everything. He became a homeless person on the street, addicted to drugs and alcohol, and Jesus saved him, and now he's a new man. In a sense, this boy can have a similar kind of testimony, can't he? It's a boy who's been ravaged by this evil spirit. God's gracious work in his life will deliver him from it. What we see here twice in this scene is this boy being harmed by the evil spirit. First, when the boy comes to Jesus and the spirit throws him down. And secondly, when Jesus commands the spirit to come out in verse 26. And he convulsed once again and he looked as if he was dead to everybody else. And then twice the father gives descriptions of all the pain that this boy has endured over the years. It seized him, it throws him down, he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. And then in verse 22 we read that sometimes he's cast into the fire and into water to destroy him. Think of all the pain that this boy has endured and all the pain that the father has endured watching his son be tortured. I mean, if you were to look at this boy, most likely scarred by all the burns on his body from being thrown in the fire. The father having seen the son nearly drown on numerous occasions. His teeth worn down by grinding them over and over. Scars from being thrown down upon the rocks. But the worst of all, the inability to communicate with his son who is mute and deaf because of this evil spirit. Unable to say, it will be okay, my son. Things are going to be alright. I'm going to find somebody that can help you. The father must have been in agony watching his son suffer. He must have wondered at times, why my son? And yet no answer comes back. And all he can do is deal with the damage that comes along with it. You know, sometimes in life, pain becomes normal in life. You know what this is like. Sometimes it's physical pain that you have to learn to live with. And over time, you learn to live with it and you adjust your life around it. For some people, it's emotional pain. Wounds that they've experienced over the course of their life. And somehow they manage to cope and somehow they manage to navigate the waters of life and various relationships and work and all of these things. And yet, the scars of all of that remain. Sometimes we don't realize just how much we need to be saved and we don't realize all the things from which we need to be saved. 
And this struggle here has defined this family for years and years. And yet when they come to Christ in faith, He begins a great work of salvation that brings healing. We read of it in verse 25. Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit. And there's a new life that is born. But first, there's actually even greater conflict, isn't there? The boy is thrown on the ground once again. He, he suffers once again in the face of Jesus' rebuke. Sometimes when we come to Jesus, in fact, I would say most of the time when we come to Jesus the first time, actually it's a season of even greater, more intense pain. When all of a sudden the guilt of our sins is flashed before our eyes. When the hurts and pains from old wounds begin to grow up. When all of our shame for who we are and who we've failed to be is brought up before us. And in a sense, that's what's taking place with this boy. It's one last effort from the forces of darkness to try to hang on. Sometimes when we come to Jesus, that's what takes place. And it's difficult to press through that and to lay hold of Jesus in faith. It's why in the parable of the sowers, only one of the four soils actually produces good fruit because it requires us to press through those hardships, press through those conflicts and difficulties. And but for those who do, salvation is given. Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up. And he arose. It's the same word for resurrection. The boy arose. And now he has a new life by faith in Jesus. But you know, even with such miraculous healing, it's only the, it's only the beginning of the work of God in this boy's life. Because even though the Spirit, of God, Spirit is gone, the scars still remain, don't they? The burns on his body still remain as testimony to what he's been through. A number of years ago when I was doing campus ministry, in fact, I believe it was the last year I was involved in campus ministry. It was a very intense season of ministry. One of those where certain situations arrive and if you, if you only had one or two of those, it might be bearable. But when it's four or five or six, all of a sudden it becomes overwhelming. And these college girls began to come to me and some reason the Spirit of God was stirring things up in them. And old past wounds from various abusive relationships began to bubble to the surface. And as they began to look to Jesus, there was, there was a renewed freedom. But the thing that I had to tell them was, you need to have right expectations about this. Because those scars are so deep that it will take many, many years for Jesus to do a complete work of healing. In fact, it won't even be complete until glory. And some of us know all of us, all of us have past wounds, have past seasons of life that still pull on our hearts and make sore spots at times. And it's not until glory that Jesus completely saves us from everything that is wrong with us. But there can be a, a real sense of salvation even 
here. This healing is a signpost to the full and complete salvation that Jesus will ultimately bring. The writer of Hebrews again tells us that Jesus saves to the uttermost. That is completely so that one day there will be no more tears. There will be no more scars. We'll all be wiped away. And we will be whole again. And faith in Jesus begins that process now. So that He brings us into a whole new realm of freedom from the forces of darkness and of sin that are at work in us. And just like with those abused young college girls, they were to believe in Jesus. It was by faith in Jesus that healing could begin to take place. So that now their questions, am I beautiful enough? Will anybody ever love me? Could be answered by the gospel. What they needed was to trust in Jesus. And my friends, the same is true for you and for me. For every scar, every sense of damage that we've ever had, every sense of guilt, the remedy is to trust in Jesus. Lay all your cares upon Him. And the more and more we do that, the freedom that we enjoy now is simply a, a down payment of the glory that's to, become, that's to come. Don't you long to be free? 100%? Jesus says all things are possible for those who believe. One last point very quickly. Those who believe are ministers in Jesus' name. The disciples were unable here to heal this boy, and therefore they come to Jesus with a very natural question. Verse 28, why could we not cast it out? Now, that's a particularly important question because Jesus has already sent them out on a mission, hasn't He? Back in chapter 6, Jesus gave them authority over unclean spirits and they cast them out. Certainly they would expect when this father brings his son to them that they would have authority and power to continue to cast out this demon so what's the problem jesus well the problem is they thought they could do it themselves that's the problem their reliance was in their own power and jesus answers their question by saying this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer in other words, prayer puts in a, us in a position of dependent faith where we rely not upon ourselves, but upon God fully. What Jesus is calling the disciples to here is really a, a ministry that's far beyond their capabilities, far beyond anything that they can do with themselves. Martin Luther, the great herald of the gospel during the Reformation, he never sought the position in the Reformation which he ended up with. But yet he ended up standing before what humanly speaking looked like the greatest powers in the world at the Diet of Worms when he was asked to recant of his writings. And he would write at some point that he felt as though in the Reformation he was like a man climbing this staircase at a great tower that is dark and he kept reaching out trying to grab a hold of something to steady himself and he reached out and grabbed a hold of a rope and he pulled on it as he leaned on it and this bell began to ring a picture of the the ringing out of the gospel he said I didn't intend to it 
But it just happened as God graciously gave me this ministry. And yet what he realized was this was a ministry far beyond my own capabilities. It's those who come in dependence upon Jesus who are able to minister in his name. Faith is risky. It makes us keenly aware of our vulnerabilities and our weaknesses. And he's asking us to risk everything on Jesus, which is what the father is doing. He's risking everything that Jesus can save his son. And that's exactly what Jesus did. But he's telling his disciples, if you want to minister in my name, you must do so by faith. Because the ministry I'm calling you to is one that you can't get your arms around. Our ministry here is not one that we should try to get our arms around and say, well, now that I close my arms around it, I've got it. Jesus says this is greater than you. Our works of evangelism ought to be greater than us. The way in which we approach our finances and our church budget ought to be greater than us. So that what we're saying is that we don't have the resources, but God does. Everything that we do is a work of faith. And we ought not even try to get our arms around it. Because it's bigger than any of us. Like the great missionary William Carey said, expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. Why? Because Jesus is able to save. And all of our ministry efforts are to be done in His power, independent prayer. Remember that woman who was given that promise by Elijah, who was told at this season next year you'll have a son, and she responded by saying, don't lie to me. Don't get my hopes up. The very next verse says, and the next year, she had a son. My friends, Jesus is able to save all who believe in Him. Come to Christ. Let Him save you completely and minister in His name by faith. And He will give you the power. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do look to Christ. We recognize that if He were not to give us faith, we would have no faith in which to trust in You and all of Your promises. We pray this morning that as we come to Him, that You would strengthen our faith, that You would continue that process of full salvation. And as we experience that, may we go out in the power of of His Spirit, by faith, to do a work of ministry that is far beyond any of us. Indeed, far beyond all of us put together. For it's Your ministry. And we trust by faith in You. For Christ's sake. Amen.